This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hi, folks. It's me, your host, Chris Bolton. I've got a really interesting interview today with Brad Flowers of an agency called Bullhorn. Brad and his partners have taken a proactive approach to growing their business by focusing on integrating new systems and using inspiration from a very useful book called Traction by Gina Wickman. Brad also refers to Get a Grip by the same author, both of which have inspired him and his team to make some really big changes at their agency. I'll have links to both books in the show notes on the website, creativeagencypodcast.com. Our sponsor for this episode is Gather Content. If you design and build websites, Gather Content will save you so many headaches. We use it here at Murmur Creative. It's the primary tool that our content strategist uses on web projects. Um, Gather Content also allows you to export content directly into a CMS like WordPress, Drupal, Sitecore, and others. You can get a free 30-day trial and get 15% off any Gather Content plan with the discount code CAP. Just go to gathercontent.com forward slash cap. Um, if you like the show, I'd love to hear about it in a positive review on iTunes or comment on the website, creativeagencypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at creativeagncy. We're also on Facebook. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome, everyone. Today, I have Brad Flowers, founder and partner at Bullhorn. Uh, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Chris. Um, so Bullhorn is in Kentucky, correct? Yeah, we're in Lexington, right in the middle of the state, which it's actually technically a commonwealth. I don't wow. know the difference, but a little is it pretty fact. hot there? Uh, it's been it's actually been hot this summer, but we've had it like a great break and it's kind of high high of 80 uh, the last three or four days. So it's been an it's actually been amazing. It's been great. Nice. So um, let's talk a little bit about Bullhorn. Um, yeah. Where do your clients come from? Are they mostly based in Kentucky or are they from all over the place? That's been changing over time. We started off with uh, really organically. So it ended up being friends and family. Um, and then uh, up until that, so we started in 2000 and fall of 2008 mm-hmm. and over time, that's changed quite a bit. Now, I bet I think forty percent of our clients in twenty sixteen were uh, local, and about sixty percent were were national. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's that's slowly changing. Nice. Yeah, I think our agency started in two thousand seven, so we're right around oh, cool. the right, right around the same agency age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the worst time to worst time to start anything, and we, uh, we did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many employees do you have at Bullhorn? Uh, there are 14 of us now, including me. And I guess we fluctuate a little because we, we usually, on a, kind of a semester basis, usually have uh, two interns. So mm-hmm. we kind of go up to 15 or 16. Wow, we are similar. So we're, we're 12 people right now, but we've usually got two interns too. So, yeah. so most of your employees are in-house? Mostly in-house. We've, um, we've, had, we've had remote uh, folks. One of our partners is in D.C., and mm-hmm. so he works remotely. And so, we're, you know, we're still kind of trying to figure that out where we're actually at an interesting point. Um, we bought a building 
last year and we're already starting to feel like it's a little cramped. Oh man. <laughs> so, which is kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, but uh, so we're trying to, you know, we're thinking through is, is some sort of remote scenario. Does that make the most sense? Should we try to move? So we're experimenting with it and, and it's actually been pretty hard. I've been surprised at how hard it is and how different it is. That's, that's something we're kind of working through the pains. How hard it is to do remote, you mean? Yeah, it's been harder for us than I expected because, you you know, you hear so many people talk about it and it seems like it would be a seamless thing. I don't know. Maybe it's just our, our culture. Um, you know, there are so many little conversations happening that you miss a lot of the context clues uh, mm-hmm. that that just happen around the office. And so it's it's hard to as a remote person, it's hard to stay up and I think feel included to some degree. And so we. We're trying to figure out how to take the, I I guess right now it feels like the burden is kind of on the person working remote to make sure that they're included and kind of force their way into conversations. Right. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out how to build processes around making them feel more included. And because, you know, you have to have kind of constant communication throughout the day in some way. Mm -hmm. And um, we're just trying to figure out the best way to do that. Do you, do you use Slack? Um, we, we've tried it. We're not, we're currently not, um, we're just using a combination of chat and text and, and, you know, video. We, we try to video as much as possible just to see the other person's face. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's just, it's so easy. But again, it's one of those things that someone has to take the initiative and think, oh, instead of firing off an email or something, I should just, you know. Um, we've had one remote employee for a number of years and there, yeah, there's always that sort of challenge. I think the, you know, the hard thing is, is that when you, a lot of the agencies that really do remote and sort of do it well that I've talked to, it's either all they do, you know, so they've actually been able to build that culture and all, you know, they've dialed in the tools they use and the, and the meetings and everything is sort of built around the remote communication right? or a good portion of their business is built. You know, they have a whole team that's remote and therefore they've had to build those processes and communication, you know, programs and stuff. I think it is kind of hard when you have like one or two people who are working remote and you're, they just sort of, it's hard to include them in everything. I mean, we we constantly forget to bring in um, our remote worker into meetings and stuff. It's it's terrible. I feel so bad, but it's the same. It's like, (laughs) or like we decided like um, Friday, they, uh, we have one, one guy right now who plays in a band and he's, he's a, they're in Florida recording. And so he, but most of, you know, most of the time he can work and, and be involved, but, there were several people out of the, out of the office Friday morning. And so they just decided to go out to breakfast and forgot to tell him. And so he sat on the call for, you know, 45 minutes waiting for someone to, you know, and they were just out to breakfast eating waffles. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, uh, uh, what are, what are the main services you offer at Bullhorn? Yeah, we, we call ourselves a branding company and we're trying to, um, I guess, help that conversation along. It, it seems to me that this is a little off topic, but the, the industry, the, the way things go, we kind of converge on different language sets. And so, you know, things, people who were marketing companies became advertising companies are now becoming branding companies, but maybe are still doing the same things. Right. So that, that makes, makes it a little bit, I think from 
my perception and talking to people from the consumers end, it makes it a little confusing as to actually what it, what branding is because we're not always very precise with the language. Right. And so what we do specifically, we, we really sell visual identity projects. And as part of that, we also work quite a bit with language. So sometimes we, we do naming, um, and then, but then we also kind of build out the brand language around the visual identity system that we create. Nice. Yeah, that's that's something that we're kind of trying to build a little bit more into our processes. Things like we we do naming, but it's, you know, it's kind of infrequent. And then we also um, have been sort of working on the, the language aspect of branding. Um, it's really, it's cool to be able to offer this sort of full branding package. I know a lot of times people just think of branding as like, I'm going to get a logo. Right. And they forget that it's you know, can be a much larger sort of system of language and art and values and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff tied in together. Yeah. And some people just want an ad campaign or they want someone to do their social media or it's, it's just surprising how much, how much confusion there is, um, from the consumer and end. Do you do any sort of ongoing marketing work or is it basically sort of just project like from start to finish? You know, that's something we're starting to to try to figure out um, because we work with a range of client sizes. Some some of our clients do have design teams. And so those folks typically they don't need much ongoing support. We'll kind of get to a point and then hand them the assets and they run with it. But we we do work quite a bit with these, I guess, small transitioning to midsize companies who have been around 20 or 30 years. They've been successful things are going great, but maybe there's a transition in leadership or they're changing their core focus or something. And so they bring us in to help kind of rearticulate who they are and what they're doing. And so, uh, we're with that sort of client, we're starting to offer ongoing creative services because inevitably they need, um, they need something, whether it's, uh, some sort of advertisement or an update to a website or, um, business collateral or, a pitch deck or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, so we're, we're kind of, we're starting to do that. That's been something we've, we've been working on this year. And I think that's probably just about, it seems like just about everyone who's in a project based business is trying to figure out how to do recurring revenue. And so we also are trying to figure out how to yeah. do recurring revenue <laughs> <laughs> in a way that's like useful for the client and is manageable for us because part, I got part of, um, the way we're, the way we're built out, we just haven't been great at managing long-term relationships because we just haven't had the staffing for it. So that's a bit of a change. Yeah. Interesting. Someone said, and I'm getting in trouble for not quoting, I can't remember if it was in one of my interviews, but that the retainer model is, is sort of dangerous because someone's always getting screwed. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's like either, you know, either the agency is making a bundle and the client isn't getting all the work they need, or the agency is losing money and the client's getting more than they should, they're paying for, (laughs) which, yeah, it's a tough balance. But at the same time, you don't have to worry about, you know, when that next check's going to come in and whether you're going to be able to pay all your employees at the end of the month. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty key. Uh, we've definitely <laughs> been there <laughs> hoping that check comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, how much does an average project cost for Bullhorn? Uh, we'd like to start in the $20,000 range mm-hmm. um, as kind of an, an initial 
it, it really, that's a, I'm a bit hesitant to say that because we do have such a wide range of client size. Um, mm-hmm. But that's that's probably where we need to be for the amount of time that we put into it. We've, you know, we we've basically uh, over time just kept track of about how many hours it takes and uh, about what profit margin we need to kind of pay the bills and and create you know create something that's going to be around to service these clients uh and so that's it for the process that we we want to do that's about where it needs to be gotcha and do you deliver is it mainly design you're delivering or do you also build like websites and apps and stuff like that we do build some websites we you know i would say we we probably build not a ton, ten, ten on websites a year or something, mm-hmm. um, and they tend to be uh, more bro- brochure oriented. We have one developer on staff and a and kind of a digital project manager that helps helps as, collect assets. So the the initial project would not include a website. If a website was included, the you know that would be a different scope. But to get to that kind of that first deliverable we'd be in the 20, 20K range, and that would be to uh, a handoff of the identity system, language system, um, that sort of thing. And then that's where now we're trying to figure out what this, what's the ongoing relationship look like because we've we found that, you know, some of our clients are really happy there, and then some of our clients are like, well, what do we do now? Like, what are we going to do with all these digital files? We don't know what, like, an avatar is or you know, whatever. So figuring out how we can best serve our different sorts of clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, we're kind of working on these, these ongoing relationships. Do you bill hourly or daily or how's your, um, you know, sort of the non-project billing go? We bill hourly. Um, if we get there, there are kind of two, two general categories right now. We have mm-hmm. one-off stuff. So say, um, like we've done a fair amount of work for the city of Lexington and they'll call and say, Hey, we have this one, one off project and you work on it and we'll work on that hourly. Um, and then we're trying to figure out with these ongoing relationships, we're working at a reduced hourly rate, but we ask them to commit to a certain number of hours over the course of a year. And so those are billed monthly, but it's still based on an hourly rate. Gotcha. So the basic, so the, the hours are billed monthly, but they basically have a quota to use up. Uh, yeah, that's right. They have a, a quota and we've, like I said, we've really just started it this year. And so we're already finding some problems because there are some people who really just want to use us to help launch the brand. And that's kind of a separate category. They tend to use up a full year's worth of hours in about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of end up feeling like, well, maybe we're just, we're kind of just like letting them do the bullhorn payment plan by letting them, you know, pay it out. Uh, you know, it's kind of a rent to own sort of scenario. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, and then some of the folks that truly have ongoing needs and they, they need us to do, to do monthly newsletters and end of the year reports that works out a little cleaner. Yeah. It's so funny that stuff seems so simple and then you start enacting it and you're just like, oh my gosh, I didn't think of that. And, you know, you have to rewrite your contracts so that you don't end up like over a barrel. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, what, what's the, like a typical profit margin on a project for you? Um, that's, that's kind of, kind of a tough question because sometimes we will, it's an, it's, I guess it's interesting because the, our highest profile projects tend to be our lowest profit 
projects. And that's partly by design because we've decided that we want to use them for some outbound marketing initiative or, or something. And so we'll spend extra time and maybe we'll do a video to promote the new work, which is an extra 30 hours or something. Mm -hmm. So our per project profitability is tough. I, you know, at the end of the year, we want to be, we, you know, we'd like to have 15 to 15% net profit would be is kind of where our target would be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we don't always get there, but that's, that's what, that's kind of what we're keeping track of. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, at Murmur Creative, I think, <laughs> I think it's probably, I don't know for sure, but it's probably about 50, 50 on the, the number of projects that are profitable and the number of projects that go below, um, yeah. that, that, uh, become unprofitable. It's, uh, and some of that is very similar, you know, like we get really excited about work that's going to make us look good and probably bring us in new clients. It's an investment sometimes to take a hit on a project because you know that it's going to be high profile. So yeah, we do that all the time and, and, uh, we're trying to get better at it. I'm, I, one of the things I've been working on a lot myself is just really tracking hours, mm -hmm. figuring out how many, you know, what the average time on each phase of a project is and, you know, really when we actually bid on projects, make sure that we're not going below that baseline. So, um, hopefully we'll have, uh, those percentages will start to look better, um, the second half of this year. But yeah, especially as a design company, you know, you want, you want high profile, great work to be out there. And sometimes those are not the companies with the biggest budgets. <laughs> right. Well, and it's, you know, I think what makes it more complicated for us is that t typically smaller companies, you don't have much of a marketing budget, if, mm -hmm. if any. And so, so, you know, you, you kind of build in some, um, I guess, some marketing into the hours because the, you know, the projects are what we're selling. And so that's, you know, that's something that I've been thinking a little bit about is how to, how to allot for that to give, to give us kind of a truer profit margin for for projects that we decide to invest more time in because we do it consciously. It's not a, it's not a surprise usually. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's just complicated because it's technically, it's technically a marketing expense, but as, unless you're really careful with how you track time, it's a little difficult to parse out what was for the, what was for the client and what was for you, because oftentimes it's both. That makes perfect sense. You should, I mean, because when we do a project, we create copy around it. We create like a, something to put on our website. You know, we do social media posts. So we, we take designer time and copywriter time and, mm -hmm. you know, and create assets that we can use for marketing. But I've never even considered factoring that into the cost of a project. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard because a lot of those same assets are used by the client also. So it's not, it's not exclusively used by you. Uh, and one I've been thinking about specifically is sometimes we'll build out a little like launch video that just kind of show it sets up the problem, goes through a bunch of iterations that we thought through and then, you know, voila, the, the beautiful solution. And so we can do it for ourselves because it helps showcase our work in what we think is kind of the richest way, but also the client end up wanting to use it too. And that's, that's cool because if they use it, someone's likely to see it. Um, and that's likely to generate work for us, but it's good for them. So it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, 
it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we've had the same thing where we took photos of a client's products for our website exclusively, mm -hmm. and then they said, hey, can we have those photos? Yeah, those look great. <laughs> we like those too. <laughs> like, uh, I think we need to charge you for those. <laughs> right. You're not going to like this, but. <clears throat> so, um, you on, on your website, you have a culture section, which is, I think, pretty cool. And you have a, a pretty cool video um, that sort of talks about your culture. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I would encourage the, our audience to check it out on, uh, it's bullhorncreative.com, correct? That's correct. On that page, you have three sort of value sets, empathy and honesty, dissatisfaction and improvement, creativity and decisiveness. How did those things come about and how do they sort of play into um, your vision business? Well, we, we read somewhere that you had to have between three and five. And uh, since we couldn't cut it below five, we have three pairs. <laughs> so I think <laughs> I think we technically have three to five core values. <laughs> um, now that's sort of a, that's a joke. Um, so about let's see, about two years ago now, we we realized that we were we were kind of pat we were kind of past the point or we were at the point to where the team was getting large enough to, that some of the institutional knowledge wasn't uh, handed down and communicated onboarding wasn't as easy as it used to be and so I we had this kind of need which is funny because we do this like exact thing for most of our clients help talk them through these and we had you know it took us five years to do it for ourselves <laughs> so as an organization, we kind of have this knee-jerk reaction against um, kind of boilerplate generic language. And so we were a little bit averse to the exercise, but we sat down and thought, okay, we're going to write these things and then we're going to, we're going to come up with these, we're going to come up with three true things that we're going to say about ourselves and kind of hold ourselves accountable to, to these. And so uh, through kind of a long process, I ended up coming up with these three and uh, kind of proposing it to my partners and we honed them and then refined the language. Uh, and then the rest of the team looked at it and we refined it again. And we're, I think we're to something that we feel like works really well. And I think what works well is that, uh, as a creative organization, you work a lot with tension. Mm -hmm. And so each of these pairs, this empathy and honesty, um, dissatisfaction and improvement, these things are kind of held in tension with one another. And so, you know, there's this idea that in order to do good work at all, you have to be empathetic, I think. And so you have to be able to put yourself in your client's position, but then also in order to, to have a, you know, a tolerable workplace, you have to be able to have empathy with your coworkers. And so if you're a designer that feels really strongly about a particular solution, you have to be empathetic with maybe the account person who's communicating this solution and how their position also sometimes might be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's this empathy idea, but it, I think the worry is that at some point that becomes a little soft. And so mm -hmm. that has to be paired with honesty, I think, so that at times, you know, you can say to a client, you know, we hear you, you say that you don't like this, but the, the issue is, you know, we have this agreed upon strategy we've kind of talked about, we've agreed upon these things and we think this is a, a way to execute this strategy. And what you're suggesting actually goes counter to the strategy that we've uh, agreed upon. And so, you know, you have to be able to have those kind of moments of, of honesty where it's hopefully you've built the relationship that it can still go well and move forward and they can see that you have their best interests in mind. And in the same way with coworkers, you know, sometimes you just have to have 
difficult conversations and say, look, you're working against our purpose here. Um, and the other ones basically work the same, you know, dissatisfaction and improvement. Uh, I think we're inherently kind of a dissatisfied group of people, but that can, like, I think the, the negative side to that, you end up with kind of like, uh, like internet troll sort of folks. Right. Um, and so it, it has to be oriented towards improvement and creativity maybe seems obvious and sort of a stupid thing, but, um, you know, we have, we have folks on our staff who wouldn't consider themselves creative you know they're they're specialized in project management or you know accounting or something and so I think we what we want to acknowledge is that everyone brings creativity to their task to do it well that's we expect that kind of from everybody but the the enemy of creativity is indecision because there's I think I'm sure you know um, there's you can easily get caught in this kind of infinite noodling loop and, right. and no one ever makes a decision and it's like, oh yeah, this is pretty and cool, and, but uh, nothing's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. We got to a point where our, you know, our designers kept on asking for more time. They wanted bigger projects so they could spend more time and getting everything perfectly right. And w we got to that point, but then we realized that we had given our designers way too much time <laughs> right, <laughs> and, then, right. and then our projects were no longer profitable. So we had to start scaling back. And, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable for them to sort of be decisive and finish a project or let it go, you know, because yeah, our art is never finished, you know? Yeah, that's, that's right. And there's the urge that if, if it's open-ended, you know, you always have kind of the opportunity to go back to it. But once, you know, once something's out the door, it's kind of out of your control. And I think s some folks that are inclined towards this industry, that's just a naturally difficult thing. We um, were discussing over email a book that I had read, and then you read it. Um, it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. Um, it's all sort of about the demoralizing struggles of being a business owner and founder. Um, mm -hmm. It's not about the agency world. Um, it's about the startup world. But what, I, what resonated with me about it was sort of that, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, running an agency, like... It, sometimes these things look sort of glorious from the outside, but they're very painful and difficult mm -hmm. on the inside. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. um, what are what are, what are some of the hard things that you've you've had to deal with uh, in growing Bullhorn? Um, there are several things. I think one of the things I really like about these sort of books is that you know this it it can be painful, but I think it can also be really isolating uh, doing this sort of work. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think you have the, there's the, you feel the obligation to put on the best face to employees. Like things are going, going great. Or uh, even if they're not going great, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that I would purposefully deceive someone, but I guess you still have to be kind of upbeat and encouraging, even when, you know, you feel like things are terrible. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, not that that's exactly dishonest, but it's, it's difficult. And so it's nice, it's nice. This, these sort of books is nice to understand and hear someone who actually had it a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> <than you> do. <laughs> um, our, our struggles were quite a bit different. One, you know, one thing we decided early on is that the sort of company we wanted, uh, at least up to this point is we wanted something that kind of grew organically that we could work on. And we're, you know, we were pretty debt, um, and kind of risk averse. And so that's, you know, that's good and bad. It's the growth has been slower, 
Um, but on the other hand, some of the extreme stress when you're responsible for someone else's uh, big investment, you know, you maybe easier to sleep at night. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I think when I think when I think about the hard things, man, there are so many hard things. Um, and that's partly the way we started is I started thinking like most people, you kind of are attracted to the work and you're not exactly thinking about starting a business. And so it's it's making that mental transition from, you know, I'm someone who does this sort of work to it's I'm someone running a business is kind of a big mental leap and like a big skill set shift. You know, I'm not I'm not coming up with clever names or writing funny ad copy. Um, uh, you know, looking at the profit and loss statement and making sure that accounts receivables are all in check. And, um, and so I, I think personally, that's, that's been the hardest thing, although it's also been the most rewarding. I found it really challenging, but I've also surprisingly really liked it. We had a transition point about three years ago. We grew pretty quickly and we had kind of two parts of the business. We were doing a lot of video work and we were doing a lot of kind of marketing design sort of work Mm -hmm. and um, the video work we were doing cool what I would call kind of like brand films but the problem we saw was there were it was causing a couple of significant business problems one well one there just weren't very many clients within the region who would pay what we needed to charge to do the sort of work we wanted to do so Mm -hmm. our, our list was pretty short of potential clients and uh, it was hard to scale out of market because it doesn't always make sense to pay someone to travel when there are local people who can do similar work. Right. And then other just more basic things like working with these larger companies, they tended to pay slower and we had to hire a lot of folks to get it done. So we had a lot of cash out of hand and then we were running into some pretty, pretty major cash flow problems that were like pretty super stressful. Um, you know, getting back to meeting payroll and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty that's a hard number that keeps happening. And if someone's slow to pay and other people are knocking on the door, say, Hey, you know, I did this sound job for you. Why, you know, why aren't you paying me? And so we made the decision to transition away from that, which at the time that made about 40% of our revenue. And so it was a huge, huge decision, but one that I, I ultimately is probably when I think back, it's one of the most rewarding And I think one of the best decisions that we've made is the decision to really focus and say, we can do this kind of brand design work everywhere and it can scale easier. And it's frankly something that we're, that we're better at. I've heard a lot of those sort of, those sort of pivotal points. Um, One of the last um, interviews I had, um, or maybe one before last with this uh, guy who founded this company in the UK called Orange Bus, they decided that they had all these sort of smaller clients that were keeping them back as far as growth goes and they decided to sort of make the sweeping decision and fire all of the clients and i think it was like it was like 40 percent of the business and um or more and they and they pulled it off and it ended up being really profitable for them the funny thing is the larger clients ended up filling in all the work very quickly Mm -hmm. once they let all the the smaller clients go yeah we were the same once we had that focus we had that kind of focal point and knew what we were trying to get out and sell we we made up that revenue gap in the first year and it was work that was much more profitable and much less stressful which was good (laughs) what's uh what's one of the biggest biggest mistakes you've made you think in growing the business um I, i think one of my 
One of the difficult things for me is I tend to, you know, the indecision thing, maybe I might've been writing that for myself. I don't know. I, I tend, I tend to think things around and maybe overthink them too much. So I think when I've made mistakes, I've been too slow to make decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the video decision is one big one. I had kind of, I knew I needed to make it for probably a year and for a lot of reasons, um, you know, fear of the unknown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, you know, I just kind of drug my feet and I think similar, I think a similar thing probably would, would go through when I think about personnel issues we've had people I knew that weren't a good fit. I, I probably waited too long and, you know, created an, an a cultural atmosphere that probably wasn't as healthy as it could be. Um, yeah. so I, I think that's probably, it's maybe that caution and indecision I think is, has been the root of some of the bigger, bigger mistakes. I think we've experienced similar things at Murmur. And, you know, sometimes I, I think like, oh, if I'd gone to business school, would I have known, you know, that we should have made this decision quicker and tell, and, not, and rather than letting it blow up and just like yes. bite us over and over again. <laughs> um, because yeah, we, we are, you know, creatives and we're very sensitive and we want to give everyone tons of chances and maybe that poor performing employee is going to figure it out eventually and we'll just keep on giving him more resources and more of our time and hope that it works out <laughs> right <laughs> where you know a cold-hearted person <laughs> or at least someone a little bit more knowledgeable about how these things go may have made a shorter decision <laughs> yeah i think so I mean, I, I, in retrospect i definitely think that and you hear people talk about how you know making those decisions quicker actually is in the best interest of the employee because uh, it helps them move on to something that's a better fit quicker but it's, it's hard to keep, it's hard to believe that in the moment, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Another book that we were chatting about, um, in email was, uh, Traction by Gina Wickman. Um, yeah. and, uh, you recommended that to me and I read it and, uh, I'm very excited about sort of trying to implement some of the things that they talk about in that book. The idea is that basically the book sort of contains an operating system, the entrepreneurial operating system. And it's sort of the the doorway into um, enacting this business system. And uh, it's really relatively simple and has, I, I think that there's, you know, a lot of the, it's a lot of the things I've thought about, like, oh, we need to do this better. We should get this going. But like, it's all sort of wrapped up in a little package that I think that is probably a good tool for, you know, people who are, don't have a, a business background. Um mm-hmm. You said you've implemented some of the um, aspects of the entrepreneurial operating system or EOS. Yeah. Um, what are those things and how has that changed things for you? It's been, uh, it's actually been huge for us. I think probably similar, similar to you all. I think it's great for businesses who, you know, you get to a certain point and there's kind of this organic growth that happens and you feel like you could probably keep doing this basically forever. And it would be, you know, sort of good, sort of terrible, uh, mostly good, but maybe not, um, what it could be or what you want it to be. And so I think this gives like the idea of traction that it, like, you know, it actually helps you kind of get through these kind of stuck moments. I'd, I'd recommend there's uh, I can't, it's slipping my mind right now. There's a prequel to that. That's more of a narrative based. And so I think mm-hmm. if, my recommendation to folks, if you're trying to convince a partner or, um, or people on your team 
that's where I would start because it's more, it's more of a narrative of a company. It talks about this company in Minneapolis, I think, and they're a tech company and they've, they're doing really well and they had good margins and they grew to a certain amount. Uh, but then they really plateaued and things started kind of going downhill. They had a hard time meeting the client's needs. And, and so it kind of talks through from a narrative perspective, what it's like. And so then you can dig into the meat of what happens in traction. Um, so that's, that's what we did. I have, I have, there are four, four active partners here now. And we started from scratch because we needed a lot of help. Um, you know, our process wise, our creative process was pretty honed because we, you know, we had to do it a lot. And so we kind of knew how to get to good, a good creative solution to a problem. But if you needed you know, if you needed to figure out if the insurance company covered something or even what our current insurance company was, it was a nightmare. Um, so that sort of like general business organization stuff, we, we really needed a lot of help with. And so we kind of started from scratch. We put out, um, we built an accountability chart, which is one of the things they recommend. And in retrospect, at the time I thought it felt a little pointless, but as we've gone through the process, I'm seeing even up to this week, I'm, st I'm still seeing like new value in creating an accountability chart because in any organization, when there are two people that are in charge of something, it basically means no one's in charge of something, which right. is how, which is how almost everything was here. Uh, and so everything was soft and it was like, oh, that didn't get done. Well, no big deal. You know, there was this and that. And so since no one was accountable there, it was just, uh, I don't know. It was the, it was the environment where you could kind of hide behind, uh, that sort of thing. And then the second thing that we've probably the second most valuable thing, or maybe it's hard to say, this is also very valuable, but we use the meeting structure that they propose where we, we have a 90 minute meeting partners meeting every week, all the internal meetings, we're kind of moving towards this traction model, which has taken a long time. Um, but once you get used to it, it's kind of, it's hard to go back because what, I don't know, I assume a lot of people have the same issue when there are kind of complex problems, you find you have this kind of circular discussion that happens in meetings and it just kind of, you could feel like you can argue and talk about the same thing on and on and on, whether it's a client process or really anything. Um, and so this really helps you work through the way, the way the organization works. The meeting is, is split up into a couple of things uh, and the most, the bulk of the issue the bulk of the meeting is set to what they call issue resolution. And so, you know, maybe one issue this week might be process related. And so we'll talk about the specific problem. And then once we kind of, everyone kind of has a chance to, to say what they have to say about it, um, someone gets a to-do item to how to fix it. And so you start to actually work through and fix these problems rather than continue to talk and talk and talk about them. So we, I don't know, we found that it's had a kind of a really a revolutionary aspect. And a lot of it just has to do with kind of basic accountability and maybe uh, other folks are, are better at that naturally in their business and it wouldn't be as big of a help. But for us having a structure to do it, mm -hmm. it's been huge so that it didn't seem like, I, I think I'm partly averse to really hierarchical situations, you know, where, where management style, we're pretty loose. People kind of are accountable for themselves. Um, and so I didn't want to be the one to come down kind of heavy handed, but having this whole system that's built around accountability has been, has been really great for us. Yeah. I think that 
we may be, you know, in similar stages in our business, or we may be actually sort of starting what you were starting, you know, a year ago. But like, Mm -hmm. I think that you have this sort of idea that like, oh, we're a pretty flat organization. There's not much hierarchy. Everybody's, we all work for the clients. Um, There's not a lot of organization. There's just a lot of, you know, inspiration and passion. And we just pull together and get it all taken care of. And then what we found is that as we become a little bit more of a mature business, people are like, what, what, what is our policy on this? What, right. You know, like how is things organized? Like how come that person's getting paid more than me? Like what, you know, like all these, it just like, it seemed like it just suddenly started happening and we just had everybody was upset about something and we didn't have like a framework to really talk about it even you know it was and we couldn't deal with every single problem one-on-one you know like it was just becoming too many problems (laughs) right and I think that's one of the things I really like about this is that it doesn't it doesn't kind of presume to solve all of your problems but it gives you a framework to process through them in a kind of healthy way and that's I think that's what I've liked and that's what has kind of set it aside from other in my mind, from other business process books that I've read. Yeah, I, it's definitely inspired me. And um, I got a couple more copies. So I'm going to have our other members of our leadership team read it. And I think we're going to start working on it, um, enabling some of the processes and really, you know, d- dialing in those values, I feel like is another thing that like we've worked on that before. But I think that the stronger that our that your values are really at the core of your company. And I think that being able to make sure that everybody knows them, you know, just because you've written down all your values and a mission statement and a vision statement and stuff like that doesn't mean that everybody in your company understands or aligns. One of the things in the uh, traction book that Gino says or talks about is everybody rowing in different directions and the boat just not going anywhere. <laughs> right. That's a good image. It feels like that. <laughs> I know. It definitely feels like that sometimes. And we've, we've actually used our, um, we've actually used our core values in a couple of ways. I think that was the key thing for me is I was really resistant to do it because I didn't think they would be useful. And so when I started to see places where we could use it, it really changed. And I turned the corner and I mentioned, and you you did as well, having interns come through. And so Mm -hmm. one thing you need to do with interns is figure out how to kind of constantly and quickly evaluate them. And so what we did after we formed our core values was we formulated five or 10 questions based around each set of values so that we could quickly get a feel for if they were a good cultural fit or not. And so that's kind of become part of our interview and onboarding processes is using our core values. Yeah. I mean, and it can also, you know, I mean, it can also have a big effect on like the clients you choose to work with. I think we're still headed in that direction. Actually, one time recently we had a, a problem with a client and we were having a disagreement on this particular issue. And they, and they said, Hey man, we hired you because you said this about dissatisfaction and improvement. And I don't feel like you're living up to it right now. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> it's, Using your values against you. Like, come on, man. That's that's my trick. Uh, so so as as kind of painful in the moment as it was, it was actually really cool that that it it actually resonated with them. Yeah, and and I think we're still trying to work towards how to in in that business development process how to use them in the best way to ensure culture fit. 
And part of it has to do with, you know, frankly, sometimes you just need the business and you don't have the luxury of being as particular as you would at other times. Right. You know, we deal with that ourselves, you know, like we, I know we take on some uninspiring clients sometimes Mm -hmm. who, you know, we may have, I mean, it's surprising sometimes it's funny because, you know, we'll work on these projects that everyone kind of groans about, um, just because the nature of it isn't, isn't as sexy and exciting as some other brand. And, um, we discover things. Sometimes the client is super easy and great to work with. And we're like, Oh, actually this is so much better than that other client. That's the work is way more cool, but they're a huge pain in the butt. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I think that's really, really true. You find out that you have from the outside, it may look really boring, but you end up, and you realize through the process, like, I actually have a lot in common with these people and really like them. And they're, you know, they do interesting work and they actually make a, you know, big positive impact in the world. Oh, one thing, another thing we recently did with our values, this is kind of our version of the, um, like inspirational posters. We, uh, let's see, once a month, we have a weekly Friday morning where we have kind of breakfast and check in. And once a month we do kudos, just, you know, what, who's done particularly well at whatever. And so, uh, we've decided to frame the kudos around the core values. So who's, who's kind of embodied these and kind of in what ways did they do it? And oh, that's a great idea. I, yeah, I think it's hard to figure out ways to keep these on people's mind without actually like making posters or something, which I don't know. <laughs> um, and so we're trying to, we're still trying to figure out ways to kind of embody those internally because whenever, e- even me, whenever someone asks like, oh, I heard you did those values. What are, what are they again? I have this like moment of like extreme anxiety of like, I forget one, you know, <laughs> it's like, I sh- these should be like super internalized, but I forget one. We're still trying to figure out, hey, you know, what are, what are good ways that we can internalize them and make them useful. And, you know, if we need to change them at some point, hopefully it will be quick to notice and acknowledge that we've. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. I love that idea of using the values with the kudos because who's to say someone's not going to give kudos to someone for a reason that's outside your company's values, you know, like, Oh, look at this person, you know, work 12 hours a day for a week and I want to give them kudos. And you're like, actually, yeah, that's not um, that sustainable. (laughs) It's not sustainable. (laughs) Might not align with our values or maybe it does. I don't know. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, cool. I, I always, uh, ask my guests for three takeaways, bits of advice you might give to another agency. Um, that is looking to grow, what, what would your three takeaways be? Um, I was just thinking about this actually and trying to think about how to tie it in because I think when we talk about traction and kind of all this big impact that it's had on our business, it seems a little like, like I get to take a lot of credit for it. But the reality is that, is that I had the great fortune to become part of a peer group. Uh, mm-hmm. There are four other business owners who are in quite a bit more mature businesses than, than ours. And one of them was using traction, like pretty hardcore. And then one of the other guys was, um, one of the other folks was, was starting to use it. One thing would be find a peer group, I guess is long, long story short is that has been in, I mean, it's been invaluable just to hear perspective, to have like ideas and be able to bounce thoughts off of them. Um, and, and just to hear, just the basic stuff like ours is pretty intimate. So they kind of show their, what the books look like. And so just seeing what an other businesses, um, balance statement looks like and 
profit and loss. It just, especially for a non-business person, it's been immeasurably beneficial to us. So that would be my first big recommendation is find a peer group. And I think through like, you know, local chambers of commerce or um, there are also businesses that are, that exist to do this, but I'm sure there's something around you if you, if you look into it just about anywhere. Let's see. What's another one? Buy more plants. I think that would be my next one. You, <laughs> you, even if you kill them, you won't regret it. Buy, buy more plants. <laughs> it just makes things better. You know, you look around, it's like more relaxing. I don't know. I, we, uh, we, when we moved to our new office, we had one plant and now we have like 35. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things. It's sort of like a tattoo. You kind of get one and then you start looking around and think, well, I could get one here too. And then, you know, it's, <laughs> you, you kind of like, you want to fill all the spaces in. Um, oh man, I can only see two plants from, from where I'm sitting right now in our office. We're, we're uh, behind. Oh no, I see three. Okay. Not 30 though. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, yeah, someone has to kind of own it, but, um, that's, you know, it's sort of a joke, but it's sort of true. I think seeing just like being surrounded with kind of organic living things is, is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a third one, I, I think getting back to the, I think getting back to the core values and, you know, I, I think even if you, if it, even if you have a hard time getting to something, going through that introspective process of thinking about who you are and kind of what impact you want to have on the world is really useful. And you start to realize that you as a, a founder or whatever, you know, you kind of have a, a unique, you make a unique mark on the culture. And so a lot of them probably have a direct relation to your personality potentially. Um, but as you grow, you realize you attract people who are in some ways like you and in some ways different. And so it's important to note that, you know, with each additional, each additional person, your, your culture, the stuff around you, it's not your, you know, beer in the fridge or uh, fancy coffee or whatever your, you know, your culture is the kind of the shared worldview of all the people that you're surrounded with. And so it's really worthwhile to be conscious in how you and how and who you surround yourself with, because it makes such a big difference on your culture. Each, each additional person makes such a big impact that I think the exercise is, is really worth it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah. I think that was a great conversation and, uh, I'll put links to the books we've been talking about in the show notes for everybody. Um, and, uh, yeah, I encourage people to check out bullhorncreative.com and see what you guys are up to. Um, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, that was really fun. You've been listening to the creative agency podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the digital strategy director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.